Bella is any other girl like you and me. Her story starts with simple everyday problems of life, and because it's a fantasy, it also undergoes a twist. Such a twist that she forgets all her problems and only with one thing remains the center of her life. So let's see what this first chapter has got for us. My mother drove me to the airport with the windows rolled down. It was 75 degrees in Phoenix. The sky a perfect cloudless blue. I was wearing my favorite shirt, sleeveless white eyelet lace. I was wearing it as a farewell gesture. My carry-on item was a parka. In the Olympic Peninsula of Northwest Washington state, a small town named Fox exists under near constant cover of clouds. It rains on this inconsequential town more than any other place in the United States of America. It was from this town and its gloomy omnipresent shade that my mother escaped with me when I was only a few months old. It was in this town that I had been compelled to spend a month every summer until I was 14. That was the year I finally put my foot down. This past 3 summers, my dad Charlie vacationed with me in California for 2 weeks instead. It was Fox that I, I now exiled myself, an action that I took with great horror. I detested Fox. I loved Phoenix, I loved the sun and the blistering heat. I loved the vigorous sprawling city. Bella, my mom said to me, the last of a thousand times before I got on the plane. You don't have to do this. My mom looks like me except with short hair and laugh lines. I felt a spasm of panic as I stared at her wild childlike eyes. How could I leave my loving, erratic, hair-brained mother to fend for herself? Of course she had failed now. So the bills would probably get paid. There would be food in the refrigerator, gas in her car and someone to call when she got lost. But still, I want to go. I lied. I had always been a bad liar, but I had been saying this lie so frequently lately that it sounded almost convincing now. Let Char- tell Charlie I said yeah, hi. I will. I'll see you soon, she insisted. You can come home whenever you want. I'll come right back as soon as you need me. But I could see the sacrifice in her eyes behind the promise. Don't worry about me, I urged. I'll be great. I love you, mom. She hugged me tightly for a minute and then I got on the plane and she was gone. It was a 4-hour flight from Phoenix to Seattle. Another hour in a small plane up to Port Angeles and then an hour drive back to down to Fox. Flying doesn't bother me. The hour in the car with Charlie though. I was little worried about that. Charlie had really been fairly nice about the whole thing. He seemed genuinely pleased that I was coming to live with him for the first time with any degree of permanence. He had already gotten me registered for high school and was going to help me get a car. But it was sure to be awkward with Charlie. Neither of us was what anyone would call verbose, and I didn't know what to what there was to say regardless. I knew he was more than a little confused by my decision. Like my mother before me, I hadn't made a secret of my distaste for Fox. When I landed in Port Angeles, it was raining. I didn't see it as an omen, just unavoidable. I'd already said my goodbyes to the sun. Charlie was waiting for me with the cruiser. This I was expecting to. Charlie is police chief Swan to the good people of Fox. My primary motivation behind buying a car, despite the scarcity of my funds, was that I refused to be driven around town in a car with red and white lights on top. Nothing slows down traffic like a cop. 
Charlie gave me an awkward one-armed hug when I stumbled my way off the plane. It's good to see you guys, he said, smiling as, auto- as he automatically caught and steadied me. You haven't changed much. How's Rini? Mom's fine. It's good to see you too, Dad. I wasn't allowed to call him Charlie to his face. I had only a few bags. Most of my Arizona clothes, clothes were too permeable for washing time. My mom and I had pooled our resources to supplement my winter wardrobe, but it was still scanty. It all fit easily into the trunk of the cruiser. I found a good car for you, really cheap, he announced when we were strapped in. What kind of car? I was suspicious of the way he said good car for you as opposed to just good car. Well, it's a truck actually, a Chevy. Where did you find it? Do you remember Billy Black down at Lapush? Lapush is a tiny Indian reservation on the coast. No, he used to go fishing with us during the summer, Charlie prompted. That would explain why I didn't remember him. I'd do a good job of blocking painful, unnecessary things from my memory. He's in a wheelchair now, Charlie continued, when I didn't respond. So he can't drive anymore, and he offered me to sell me his truck. What year is it? I could see from his change of expression that this was the question he was hoping I would not ask. Well, Billy's done a lot of work on the engine. It's only a few years old. Really? I hoped he didn't think so little of me as to believe. I would give up that easily. When did he buy it? He bought it in 1984, I think. Did he buy it new? Well, no. I think it was new in early 60s or late 50s at the earliest, he admitted sheepishly. Dad, I don't really know anything about cars. I wouldn't be able to fix it if anything went wrong. And I couldn't afford a mechanic. Really, Bella, the things run great. They don't build them like that anymore. The thing, I thought to myself. It had possibilities. As a nickname at the very least. How cheap is cheap? After all, that was the part I could not compromise on. Well, honey, I kind of already bought it for you as a homecoming gift. Charlie picked sideways at me with a hopeful expression. Wow, free! You didn't need to do that, Dad. I was going to buy myself a car. I don't mind. I want you to be happy here. He was looking ahead at the road when he said this. Charlie wasn't comfortable with expressing his emotions out loud. I inherited that from him. So I was looking straight ahead as I responded. Thanks, that's really nice. I really appreciate it, Dad. No need to add that my being happy in Fox is an impossibility. He didn't need to suffer along with me. And I never looked a free truck in the mouth or engine. Well, now you're welcome, he mumbled, embraced by my thanks. We exchanged a few more comments on the weather, which was wet, and that was pretty much of it for conversation. We stared out of the windows in silence. It was beautiful, of course. I could not deny that. Everything was green. The trees, the trunks covered with moss, the branches hanging with a canopy of it, the ground covered with ferns, even the air filtered down greenishly through the leaves. It was too green, an alien planet. Eventually, we made it to Charlie's. He still lived in the small two-bedroom house that he had bought with my mother in the early days of their marriage. Those were the only kind of days that marriage had, the early ones. There, parked on the street in the front of the house that never changed, was my new, well, new to me, truck. It was a faded red color with big rounded fenders and a bull bear's cab. To my intense surprise, I loved it. I didn't know if it would run, but I could see it myself in it. Plus, it was one of those solid iron affairs that never gets damaged. The kind 
You see at the scene of an accident, paint on scratch surrounded by pieces of foreign car it had destroyed. Wow dad, I love it. Thanks. Now my horrific day tomorrow would be just that much less dreadful. I wouldn't be faced with the choice of either walking 2 miles in the rain to school or accepting a ride in Chief's cruiser. I'm glad you like it, Charlie said gruffly, embarrassed again. It took only one trip to get all my stuff upstairs. I got the west bedroom that faced out over the front yard. The room was familiar. It had belonged to me since I was born. The wooden floor, the light blue walls, the picked ceiling, the yellow laced curtains around the windows. These were all part of my childhood. The only changes Charlie had ever made were switching the crib for a bed and adding a desk as I grew. The desk now held a second-hand computer, with the phone line for modern stapled along the floor to the nearest phone jack. It was a stipulation from my mother so that we could stay in touch easily. The rocking chair from my baby days was still in the corner. There was only one bathroom at the top of the stairs, which I would have to share with Charlie. I was trying not to dwell too much on that fact. One of the best things about Charlie is he doesn't hover. He left me alone to unpack and get settled, a feat that would have been altogether impossible for my mother. It was nice to be alone, not to have to smile and look pleased, a relief to stare dejectedly out of the window at the sheeting rain and let just a few tears escape. I wasn't in the mood to go on a real crying jag. I would save that for bedtime, when I would have to think about the coming tomorrow. Fox High School had a frightening total of only 375, now 78, students. There were more than 700 people in my junior class alone back home. All of the kids here had grown up together. Their grandparents had been toddlers together. I would be the new girl from the big city, a curiosity, a freak. Maybe if I looked like a girl from Phoenix should, I could work this to my advantage. But physically, I would never fit in anywhere. I should be tanned, spotty, blonde, a volleyball player, or a cheerleader perhaps. All, of, all the things that go with living in the valley of sun. Instead, I was ivory skinned, without even the excuse of blue eyes or red hair, despite the constant sunshine. I had always been slender, but soft somehow, obviously not an athlete. I didn't have the necessary hand-eye coordination to play sports without humiliating myself and harming both myself and anyone else who stood too close. When I finished putting my clothes in the old pine dresser, I took my bag of bathroom necessities and went to the communal bathroom to clean myself up after the day of travel. I looked at my face in the mirror as I brushed my tangled hair. Maybe it was the light, but already I looked shallow or unhealthy. My skin could be pretty, but it was very clear, almost translucent looking. But I was all dependent on color. I had no color here. Facing my pallid reflection in the mirror, I was forced to admit that I was lying to myself. It wasn't just physically that I would never fit in. And if I could not find a niche in school with 3000 people, what were my chances here? I didn't relate well to people my age. Maybe the truth was, I didn't relate well to people, period. Even my mother, who I was close to than anyone else on the planet, was never in harmony with me, never on exactly the same page. Sometimes I wondered if I was seeing the same things through my eyes that the rest of the world was seeing through theirs. Maybe there was a glitch in my brain. But the cause didn't matter. All that mattered was the effect. And tomorrow would just be the beginning. I didn't sleep well that night, even after I was done crying. 
the constant whooshing of the rain and the wind across the roof wouldn't fade into the background. I pulled the faded old quilt over my head and later added the pillow too. But I could not fall asleep until after midnight, when the rain finally settled into a quieter drizzle. Thick fog was all I could see out my window in the morning, and I could feel the claustrophobia creeping on me. You could never see the sky here, it was like a cage. Breakfast with Charlie was a quiet event. He wished me good luck at school. I thanked him, knowing his hope was wasted. Good luck tended to avoid me. Charlie left first off to the police station, that was his wife and family. After he left, I sat at the old square oak table in one of three unmatching chairs and examined a small kitchen with its dark panelled walls, bright yellow cabinets and white linen floor. Nothing was changed. My mother had painted the cabinets 18 years ago in an attempt to bring some sunshine into the house. Over the small fireplace in the adjoining handkerchief-sized family room was a row of pictures. First, a wedding picture of Charlie and my mom in Las Vegas. Then one of the three of us in the hospital after I was born, taken by a helpful nurse, followed by the process of my school pictures up to last years. Those were embarrassing to look at. I would have to see what I could do to get Charlie put them somewhere else, at least while I was living here. It was impossible, being in this house, not to realize that Charlie had never gotten over my mom. It made me uncomfortable. I didn't want to be early to school. But I could not stay in the house anymore. I donned my jacket, which had the feel of a biohazard suit, and headed out into the rain. It was drizzling still, not enough to soak me through immediately as I reached for the house key that was always hidden under the eaves by the door, and locked up. The sloshing of my new waterproof boots was unnerving. I missed the normal crunch of gravel as I walked. I couldn't pause and admire my truck again as I wanted. I was in a hurry to get out of the misty wet that swirled around my head and clung to my hair under my hood. Inside the truck it was nice and dry. Either Billy or Charlie had obviously cleaned it up, but the tan upholstered seats still smelled faintly of tobacco, gasoline and peppermint. The engine started quickly to my relief but loudly, roaring to life and then idly at top volume. Well, a truck this old was born to have a flaw. The antic radio worked a plus that I hadn't expected. Finding the school wasn't difficult, though I had never been there before. The school was, like most other things, just off the highway. It was not obvious that it was a school, only the sign, which declared it to be the Fox High School, made me stop. It looked like a collection of matching houses built with maroon-colored bricks. There were so many trees and shrubs, and could not see its size at first. There was the feel of institution. I wondered nostalgically. Where was the chain link fences, the metal detectors? I parked in the front of the first building, which had a small sign over the door reading front office. No one else was parked there, so I was sure it was off limits, but I decided I would get directions inside instead of circling around in the rain like an idiot. I stepped unwillingly out of the toasty truck cab and walked down a little stone path lined with dark hedges. I took a deep breath before opening the door. Inside it was brightly lit and warmer than I had hoped. The office was small, a light waiting area with padded flooring chairs, orange flagged commercial carpet, notices and awards cluttering the wall, a big clock ticking loudly. Plants grew everywhere in the large plastic pots, as if there wasn't enough greenery outside. The room was cut in half by long counter clustered with wire baskets full of paper and brightly colored flowers taped to its front. 
there were three desks behind the counter one of which was managed by a large hair head woman wearing glasses she was wearing a purple t-shirt which immediately made me feel overdressed the red head woman looked up can i help you i am isabella swan i informed her and saw the immediate awareness light in her eyes i was expected a topic of gossip no doubt daughter of the chief's flighty ex-wife come at home at last of course she said she dug through a precisely stacked pile of documents on her desk till she found the one she was looking for i have your schedule right here and a map of the school she brought several sheets on the counter to show me she went through the classes for me highlighting the best route to each on the map and gave me a slip to have each teacher sign which i was to bring back at the end of the day she smiled at me and hoped like charlie that i would like it here in folks I smiled back as convincingly as I could. When I went back out to my truck, other students were starting to arrive. I drove around the school following the line of traffic. I was glad to see that most of the cars were older like mine. Nothing flashy. At home I had lived in one of the few lower income neighborhoods that were included in the Paradise Valley district. It was a common thing to see a new Mercedes or a Porsche in the student lot. The nicest car here was a shiny Volvo and it stood out. Still, I cut the engine as soon as I was in a spot so that the thunderous volume would not draw attention to me. I looked at the map in the trunk trying to memorize it now. Hopefully, I would not have to walk around with it stuck in front of my nose all day. I stuffed everything in my bag, slung to the strap over my shoulder and sucked in a huge breath. I can do this, I lied to myself feebly. No one was going to bite me. I finally exhaled and stepped out of the truck. I kept my face pulled back into my hood as I walked to the sidewalk, crowded with strangers. My plain black jacket did not stand out. I noticed with relief. Once I got around the cafeteria building, there was easy to spot. A large black 3 was painted on a white square on the east corner. I felt my breathing gradually creeping towards hyperventilation as I approached the door. I tried holding my breath as I followed two unisex raincoats through the door. The classroom was small. The people in the front of me stopped just inside the door to hang up their coats on a long row of hooks. I copied them. There were two girls, one a porcelain colored blonde, the other also pale with light brown hairs. At least my skin wouldn't be a stand out here. I took the slip up to the teacher, a tall balding man whose desk had a nameplate identifying him as Mr. Mason. He gawked at me and when he saw my name, not an encouraging response. and i of course flushed on my torad but at least he sent me to an empty desk at the back without introducing me to the class it was harder for my new classmates to stare at me in the back but somehow they managed i kept my eyes down on the reading list the teacher had given me it was fairly basic bronte shakespeare chaucer faulkner i had already read everything it was comforting and boring I wondered if my mom would send me my folder of old essays or if she would think that was cheating. I went through different arguments with her in my head while the teacher droned on. When the bell rang, a nasal buzzing sound, a gangly boy with skin problems and a hair black as an oil slick leaned across the aisle to talk to me. "You are Isabella Swain, aren't you?" He looked like the overly helpful chess club type. "Bella," I corrected. Everyone within the three seat radius turned to look at me. Where's your next class? he asked. I had to check in my bag. Um government with Jefferson in the building 
There was nowhere to look without meeting curious eyes. I'm heading towards building 4. I could show you the way. Definitely over helpful. I'm Eric, he added. I smiled tentatively. Thanks. We got our jackets and headed out into the rain which had picked up. I would have sworn several people behind us were walking close enough to eavesdrop. I hoped I wasn't getting paranoid. So this is a lot different than Phoenix, huh? He asked. Very. It doesn't rain much there, does it? Three or four times a year. Wow, what must that be like? He wondered. Sunny, I told him. You don't look very tan. My mother is a part albino. He studied my face apprehensively and I sighed. It looked like clouds and a sense of humor did not mix. A few months of this and I would forget how to use sarcasm. He walked back around the cafeteria to the south buildings by the gym. Eric walked me right to the door, though it was clearly marked. Well, good luck, he said as I touched the handle. Maybe we'll have some other classes together, he sounded hopeful. I smiled at him vaguely and went inside. The rest of the morning passed in about the same fashion. My trigonometry teacher, Mr. Warner, who I would have hated anyway just because of the subject he taught, was the only one who made me stand in front of the class and introduce myself. I stammered, blushed, and tripped over my boots on the way to my seat. After two classes, I started to recognize several faces in, the cl- in each class. There was always someone braver than the others who would introduce themselves and ask me questions about how I was living in fogs. I tried to be diplomatic, but honestly, I just lied a lot. At least, I never needed the map. One girl sat next to me in both Trig and Spanish, and she walked with me to the cafeteria for lunch. She was tiny, several inches shorter than 5 feet 4 inches, but her widely curly dark hair made up a lot of the difference between our heights. I couldn't remember her name, so I smiled and nodded as she prattled about teachers and classes. I didn't try to keep up. We sat at the end of a full table with several of her friends, who she introduced to me. I forgot all their names as soon as she spoke to them. They seemed impressed by her bravery in speaking to me. The boy from English, Eric, waved at me from across the room. It was there, sitting in the lunchroom, trying to make conversation with seven, with seven curious strangers. That I first saw them. They were sitting in the corner of the cafeteria, as far away from where I sat as possible in the long room. There were five of them. They weren't talking. They weren't eating, though. They each had a tray of untouched food in front of them. They weren't gawking at me unlike most of the other students, so it was safe to stare at them without fear of meeting an excessively interested pair of eyes. But it was none of these things that caught and held my attention. They didn't look anything alike. Of the three boys, one was big, muscled like a serious weightlifter with dark curly hair. Another was taller, leaner, but still muscular and honey blonde. The last one was lanky, less bulky, with untidy bronze-colored hair. He was more boyish than the others, who looked like they could be in college or even teachers here rather than students. The girls were opposites. The tall one was a statue skew. She had a beautiful figure, the kind you saw on the cover of the Sports Illustrated swimsuit issue. The kind that made every girl around her take a hit on her self-esteem just by being in the middle of the same room. Her hair was golden, gently waving to the middle of her back. The short girl was pixie-like, thin in the extreme with small features. Her hair was black, cropped short and pointing in every direction. And yet, they were all exactly alike. Every one of them was talky, pale, the palest of all the students living in the sunless town. 
paler than me, the albino. They all had very dark eyes despite the range and hair tones. They also had dark shadows under those eyes, purplish bruise-like shadows, as if they were all suffering from a sleepless night or almost done recovering from a broken nose. Though their noses, all their features were straight, perfect, angular. But all this is not why I couldn't look away. I stared because their faces so different, so similar, were all devastatingly, inhumanly beautiful. They were faces you never expected to see except perhaps on airbrushed pages of fashion magazine. Or painted by an old master as the face of an angel. It was hard to decide who was the most beautiful, maybe the perfect blonde girl or the bronze-haired boy. They were all looking away, away from each other, away from other students, away from anything particular as far as I could tell. As I watched the small girl rose with her tray, unopened shoulder, unbeaten apple, and walked away with a quick graceful lope that belonged on a runway, I watched amazed at her lethest dancer's step, till she dumped her tray and glided through the back door, faster than I would have thought possible. My eyes darted to the others, which sat unchangingly. Who are they? I asked the girl from my Spanish, whose name I had forgotten. As she looked up to see who I meant, though already knowing probably from my tone, suddenly suddenly he looked at her, the thinner one, the boyish one, the youngest perhaps. He looked at my neighbor for just a fraction of a second and then his dark eyes flickered to mine. He looked away quickly, more quickly than I could though in a flush of embarrassment dropped my eyes at once. In that brief glance of chance, his face held nothing of interest. It was as if she had called his name and he had looked up in voluntary response, already having decided not to answer. My neighbor giggled in embarrassment, looking at the table like I did. That's Edward and Emmett Cullen and Rosalie and Jasper Hale. The one who left was Elias Cullen. They all lived together with Dr. Cullen and his wife. She said this under her breath. I glanced sideways at the beautiful boy who was looking at his tray now, picking a bagel to pieces with long, pale fingers. His mouth was moving very quickly, his perfect lips barely opening. The others still looked away, and yet I felt he was picking themselves quietly. Strange, unpopular names, I thought. The kind of names grandparents had, but maybe that was in vogue here. Small town names? I finally remembered that my neighbor was called Jessica, a perfectly common name. There were two girls named Jessica in my history class back home. They are very nice looking. I struggled with the conspicuous understatement. Yes, Jessica agreed with another giggle. They are all together, though. I met in Roselli and Jasper and Elias. I mean, and they live together. Her voice held all the shock and condemnation of the small town, I thought critically. But if I was being honest, I had to admit that even in Phoenix, this would cause gossip. Which one are the Cullens? They don't look related. Oh, they are not. Dr. Cullen is really young in 20s or, really, or, or early 30s. They all are adopted. The Hales are brother and sister, twins, the blondes, and they are foster children. They look alike, a little older for foster children. They are now. Jasper and Rosalie are both 18, but they have been with Mrs. Curran since they were 8. She is their aunt or something like that. That's really kind of nice for them to take care of all those kids like that when they are so young and everything. I guess so, Jessica admitted reluctantly. I got the impression that she didn't like the doctor and his wife for some reason. With the glances she was throwing at their adopted children, I could presume the reason was jealousy. 
I think that Mrs. Cullen can't have any kids, though," she added, as if that lessened their kindness. Throughout all the conversation, my eyes flickered again and again to the table where the strange family sat. They continued to look at the walls and not end. Have they always lived in folks? I asked. Surely I would have noticed them on one of my summers here. No, she said in a voice that implied it would be obvious even to new arrival like me. They must moved down two years ago from somewhere in Alaska. I felt a surge of pity and relief. Pity because as beautiful as they were, they were all outsiders, clearly not accepted. Relief that I wasn't the only newcomer here, and certainly not the most interesting by any standard. As I examined them, the youngest, one of the coolants, looked up and met my gaze. This time, with evident curiosity in his expression, as I looked swiftly away, it seemed to me that his glance had some kind of unmet expectation. Which one is the boy with reddish brown hair? I asked. I peeked at him from the corner of my eye, and he was still staring at me, but not gawking like the other students had done today. He had a slightly frustrated expression. I looked again. That's Edward. He's gorgeous, of course, and but don't waste time. He doesn't date. Apparently, none of the girls here are good-looking enough for him. She sniffed a clear case of sour grapes. I wondered when he had turned her down. I bit my lip to hide my smile, but I glanced at him again. His face was turned away, but I thought his cheeks appeared lifted, as if he were smiling too. After a few phone minutes, the four of them left the table together. They were all were noticeable, graceful, even the big brownie one. It was unsettling to watch. The one named Edward did not look at me again. I sat at the table with Jessica and her friends longer than I would have done if I had been sitting alone. I was anxious not to be late for class on my first day. None of my new acquaintances who considerately reminded me that her name was Angela had biology with me in the next hour. We walked to the two classes together in silence. She was shy too. When we entered the classroom, Angela went to sit at a black-topped label table exactly like the ones I was used to. She already had a neighbor. In fact, all the tables were filled but one. Next to the center table, I recognized recognized Edward Cullen by his unusual hair sitting to that single open seat. As I walked down the aisle to introduce myself to the teacher and get my slip signed, I was watching him superstitiously. Just as I passed, she suddenly went rigid in his seat. He stared at me again, meeting my eyes with the strangest expression on his face. It was hostile, furious. I looked away quickly, shocked, going red again. I stumbled over a book in the walkway and had to catch myself on the edge of the table. The girl sitting there giggled. I had noticed that his eyes were black, coal black. Mr. Banner signed my slip and handed me a book with no nonsense about introductions. I could tell we were going to get along. Of course, he had no choice but to send me to the one open seat in the middle of the room. I kept my eyes down as I went to sit by him, bewildered by the antagonistic stare he had given me. I didn't look up as I set my book on the table and took my seat, but I saw his posture change from the corner of my eye. He was leaning away from me. sitting on the extreme edge of his chair and averting his face like he smelled something bad inconspicuously i sniffed my hair it smelled like strawberries the scent of my favorite shampoo it seemed an innocent enough odor i let my head fall over my right shoulder making a dark curtain between us and tried to pay attention to the teacher 
Unfortunately, the lecture was on cellular anatomy, something I had already studied. I took notes carefully anyway, always looking down. I couldn't stop myself from peeking occasionally through the screen of my head at the strange boy next to me. During the whole class, he never relaxed his stiff position on the edge of the chair, sitting as far from me as possible. I could see his hand on his left leg was clenched into a fit, tendons standing out under his pale skin. This too, he never relaxed. He had the long sleeves of his white shirt pushed up to his elbows and his forearm was surprisingly hard and muscular beneath his light skin. He wasn't nearly as light as he looked next to the burly brother. The class seemed to drag on longer than the others. Was it because the day was finally coming to a close or because I was waiting for his tight fist to loosen? It never did. He continued to sit or looked like he wasn't breathing. What was wrong with him? Was this his normal behavior? I questioned my judgment on Jessica's bitterness at lunch today. Maybe she was not as resentful as I would thought. It couldn't have anything to do with me. He did not know me from Eve. I peeked at him one more time and regretted it. He was glaring down at me again, his black eyes full of revulsion. As I flinched away from him, shrinking against my chair, the phrase, if looks could kill, suddenly ran through my mind. At that moment, the bell rang loudly, making me jump, and Edward Cullen was out of his seat. Fluidly, he rose. He was much taller than I had thought. He's back to me and was out the door before anyone else was out of their seat. I sat frozen in my seat, staring blankly after him. He was so mean. It wasn't fair. I began gathering up my things slowly, trying to block the anger that filled me. For fear, my eyes would tear up. For some reason, my temper was hardwired to my tear ducts. I usually cried when I was hangry and a humiliating tendency. Aren't you Isabella Swan? A male voice asked. I looked up to see a cute baby-faced boy, his pale blonde hair carefully gelled into orderly spikes, smiling at me in a friendly way. He obviously didn't think I smiled bad. Bella, I corrected him with a smile. I am Mike. Hi, Mike. Do you need any help finding your next class? I'm headed to the gym, actually. I think I can find it. That's my next class, too. He seemed thrilled, though it wasn't that big of a coincidence in a small school like this. We walked to class together. He was a chatterer. He supplied most of the conversation, which made it easy for me. He lived in California till he was 10, so he knew how I felt about the sun. It turned out he was in my English class, too. He was the nicest person I had met today. But as we were entering the gym, he asked, So did you stab Edward Cullen with a pencil or what? I'd never seen him act like that. I cringed. So I wasn't the only one who had noticed. And apparently, that wasn't Edward Cullen's usual behavior. I decided to play dumb. Was that the boy I sat next to in biology? I asked artlessly. Yes, he said. He looked like he was in pain or something. I don't know, I responded. I never spoke to him. He's a weird guy. Mike lingered by me instead of heading to the dressing room. If I were lucky enough to sit by you, I would have talked to you. I smiled at him before walking through the girl's locker room door. He was friendly and clearly admiring, but it wasn't enough to ease my irritation. The gym teacher, Coach Clapp, found me a uniform but did not make me dress down for today's class. At home, only two years of PE were required. Here, PE was mandatory for all four years. Fox was literally my personal hell on earth. I watched four volleyball games running simultaneously, remembering how many injuries I had sustained and inflicted playing foot volleyball. 
I felt faintly nauseated. The final bang rang at last. I walked slowly to the office to return my paperwork. The rain had drifted away, but the wind was strong and cold. I wrapped my arms around myself. When I walked into the warm office, I almost turned around and walked back out. And what Cullen stood at the desk in front of me. I recognized again that tousled bronze hair. Didn't appear to notice the sound of my entrance. I stood pressed against the back wall, waiting for the receptionist to be free. He was arguing with her in a low, attractive voice. I quickly picked up the gist of the argument. He was trying to trade from the sixth hour biology to another time. Any other time. I could not just believe that this was about me. It has to be something else. Something that happened before I returned to the biology room. The look on his face must have been another aggravation entirely. It was impossible that this stranger could take such a sudden intense dislike to me. The door opened again and the cold wind suddenly gushed through the room, rustling the papers on the desk, swirling my hair around my face. The girl who came in nearly stepped onto the desk, placed a note in the wire basket and walked out again. But Edwin Cullen's back stiffened and he turned slowly to glare at me. His face was absurdly handsome. With piercing, hate-filled eyes, for an instant I felt a thrill of genuine fear, raising my hair on my arms. The look only lasted a second, but it chilled me more than the freezing wind. He turned back to the receptionist. Never mind then, he said, hastily in a voice like velvet. I can see that it's impossible. Thank you so much for your help. And he turned to his heel without another look at me and disappeared out the door. I went meekly to the desk, my white face for once instead of red and handled the slip. How did your first day go, dear? The receptionist asked Master Nelly. Fine, I lied. My voice weak. She didn't look convinced. When I got to the truck, it was almost the last car in the lot. It seemed like a heaven, already the closest thing to home I had in this damp green hole. I sat inside for a while just staring the windshield blankly, but soon I was cold enough to need the heater, so I turned the key and the engine roared to life. I headed back to Charlie's house, fighting tears the whole way there.